Uh, this morning, I have the real uh, honor and the privilege of introducing our, our, our plenary speaker. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I specifically requested that I be the one to introduce him because he's a personal friend and mentor of mine. Dr. Zeno Charles Marcel is someone I know well, having uh, sat under his uh, tutelage, if, the word, if I got the word right. Uh, but he taught me at my alma mater at Montemorelos University most of my inter internal medicine courses and uh, uh, supervised me through, the, through the, uh, the, the clinical program as well. And so I, I, I have come up always with a deep admiration for Dr. Charles Marcel. He's a, he's a graduate of Howard University, uh, trained at Loma Linda in internal medicine, and uh, had the opportunity to take up lucrative practice, I'm sure, here in California and the United States, but he took the time to go down to Montemorelos to teach students like myself during the 1980s while I attended there. Subsequent to that, he came back up here and had been at Loma Linda for a while, was at the Lifestyle Center of America. I've been trying to keep track of his itinerary all this time. And, uh, but now he's back at Montemorelos uh, as the dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences. The most important thing I can say about Dr. Charles Marcel, he's a deeply spiritual person. And he has a deep passion for the work of the right arm. And I know, I'm confident this morning, he will deliver to us a message from the throne that will inspire us. It's perhaps no coincidence that uh, we just heard special music from a neurologist because I'm going to mention a little bit this morning about a condition that we find in patients who have suffered strokes called hemineglect. Anybody here familiar with that term, hemineglect? It's a strange condition. There are individuals who... Uh, when they get dressed, for instance, will comb one side of their hair, fix one side of their face, put their clothes on on one side, and completely ignore the other side. This is hemineglect. The question that I have is do those people understand that they're missing a part? Most often they don't. That side could be on fire. They wouldn't have a clue. In our church, do we care that we have hemineglect? Good question. And for us, do we suffer from hemineglect ourselves as we expand the concept of health ministry, not just to professionals in health, but to every member of the church, the way it was originally described to us. Well, just with that thought, let's pray. Father in heaven, you have said that when two or three are gathered in your name that you're there. We claim that promise this morning. And as we converse for a few minutes, we pray that you'll hide me behind your superior wisdom and grace and knowledge and eloquence, and that your message would be the one that comes through. For Jesus' sake, amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, if you have, to the book of John, John chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little 
a little story. I didn't grow up Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up Catholic and had my encounter with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when I was uh, studying in Canada at McGill University. And uh, needless to say, that radically changed my life. Uh, Jesus has a way of transforming us. And you know, um, at that time as a novice Bible reader, I would read things in the Bible that I didn't understand, even though I thought I was a smart guy. As a matter of fact, everybody told me I was a smart guy. Yeah. Sometimes I thought I was a wise guy. (laughs) But I knew I lacked wisdom and I wanted to get wisdom before I got gray hair. I have gray hair. I still don't have wisdom. Thank you. But I would read things in the Bible and would try to understand what is it that was happening there. And one of the places that I had some difficulty understanding was what I'm about to share with you here in this uh, little passage in John chapter 5. Here, here we have the story of the man at the pool at Bethesda. Here is this man who had been sick for some 38 years. Now put that in the context. He was uh, sick for longer than Jesus had been alive. And there he was at the pool and Jesus comes up to him. And in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, I I, I put myself in that story and I'm thinking, if I were sick for 38 years and somebody comes up to me and says, do you want to get well? (laughs) I, I wouldn't be able to contain myself to tell him, yes, 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 yes. What do you mean? But it's really interesting how the man answers. He never answered the question. Can you see it there in verse 6? He never answers the question. And you know, that, that, that encounter in the Bible, it kind of worked on me for years. Until I was doing my residency. And I had a situation where I was uh, dealing with some patients at the Veterans Hospital in Loma Linda. And I had a young guy there. He had uh, had an accident and was discharged from the military and was receiving his veterans' benefits. And he came in to see me, he and his wife. Relatively young people for veterans. And I liked the guy and I, I, I thought this was going to be a really uh, good thing he had. Uh, an illness that was not difficult to treat as far as you know, treatments are concerned. Told him what it involved. He, all he had to do was to go and get the prescription, make a few changes in his life, and things would go all right. Okay? But he didn't show up for clinic the next time we had an appointment. And I was curious about that, and uh, I got his number, and I called his home and spoke to his wife, and his wife 
told me, well, you know, they're sorry, but um, uh, they couldn't make it. So I said, can we make another appointment? Now, this, this was not something that was commonly done, but I really had liked this guy. And I tried to do that with my patients. But he didn't show the next time either. So I called again, and I asked, what's going on? And he said, okay, okay, we're going to come. All right. So they came. This is now about two, two and a half months later. And they said that they were a bit um, kind of put back because they were ashamed that they hadn't come back to the clinic. And I said, well, that's, that's no big thing. How are you doing? And the guy hung his head, and the wife nudged him, as sometimes the wives do. And she said, go ahead and tell the doctor, go ahead. <laughs> and he said, well, I didn't fill the prescription, and I haven't been doing the things that you told me. And that's the reason why I didn't come back. I was waiting until I got things done <laughs> before I came back to see you. And I, I laughed. I said, all right, but it's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do something. And, and then I asked him a question. I said, well, do you want to get better? And right away, my mind went back to that text here. Do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? I mean, it's now two months, two and a half months, that this is something that you can treat, right? You can take care of, and you're not taking care of it. Do you want to get better? And you know, he didn't answer me and say, well, yes, I want to get better. What he said to me was, well, it depends. Depends. Depends on what? He said, well, you know, you told me that I had to make some changes, and I'm not so sure I'm ready to make those changes. Ooh. You know, I had thought, naively, coming through medical school and starting residency and what, I, I thought, I don't know how stupid I was, <laughs> but I thought that, you know, you, you, you told people what to do, and uh, you worked with them, and you showed uh, concern for them and whatnot, and, and they would automatically go ahead and do what you're asking them to do. Any of you had that feeling too? <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought that, uh, that he would just do that because he wanted to get better. That's what I thought. But there's a cost involved in getting better. And he was wondering whether it was worth the cost to get better. But you know what? I realized that I did the same thing in other ways in my own life. I counted costs when I got advice on what to do. I had the same pathology. And the way I dealt with it was I had my own set of excuses and my own set of reasons. And Jesus was asking me, do you want to be whole? And I didn't give him an answer either. Even though I thought, well, course. I am forever grateful to this man and his wife who taught me not to take things for granted and led me to understand what may have been going on in this text in the Bible where Jesus confronted a man who had been sick for 38 years and he healed him anyway. He knew that the man really wanted to get better. I had a patient recently who was very rich, 
For all intents and purposes, he walks on water. He doesn't need to ask for anything. He just says it and it gets done. He is forever on his cell phone making deals. And the last time I saw him, I was very afraid for his life because he's a nice guy. And I had to do a treadmill. And I was apprehensive about the treadmill because I thought maybe we would end up having to pull out the paddles. He got through the treadmill. But he could see in my face that I was apprehensive. And I didn't try to hide it. When I sat him down in the office, I said, I am very disturbed. Your weight is going up and up. You're not getting better. His fasting blood sugars were over 300, 360. And he was fooling around with his life. So I told him, I need, I need to call and talk to your wife. Give me her number. Now that didn't scare him. He gave me her number. <laughs> uh, but he looked at me and he said, you're, you're really serious about this, right? And I said, I'm as serious as a heart attack. Pun intended. I'm afraid for your life. Now this is only one of my patients. I have other patients that I have had to confront in that way, uh, rather aggressively. And I'm sure that in your practice, you probably have had to do that from time to time. But I looked at that man as the most recent one in whom or with whom I had to have this kind of confrontation. Because I, I knew, I felt, this man is going to die if we don't do something and do something now. And it reminded me of what I have heard about what goes on in prison. In the states in which there are people who are on death row, I'm told that when that person walks down the hallway in the prison, there's a term that they use. They say, dead man walking. Dead man walking. And over the years, I've had to kind of come to grips with the idea that people with whom I come in contact every day are on death row. They and we are dead men walking. We have a death sentence. We're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. Dead men walking. We're living on borrowed time. And sometimes we have an opportunity to have an encounter with people. And as health care people, with whom others come specifically looking for some sort of help or some, some hope, we need to be sensitive to the fact that the person walking into the office is in need of hope and transformation. Or at least has a very high likelihood of needing that, even though they may not know it and they may not say that they want it. In fact, in our offices, in our schools, 
In our churches, oftentimes we have dead men walking about. And what do we do about it? It's not time to talk about the weather. It's not time to have a, a casual conversation and write a little prescription and give it to the person and just say, okay, see you next time. There may be no next time. We're living in the time of the end. And unless we feel the urgency of the time, we're not going to act with urgency. If somebody on death row were to call you and ask for advice, what advice will you give them? They're five hours before their sentence is commuted. What will you tell them? Would you, would you talk about the weather? I would hope not. I wouldn't. There's an urgency there. And we need to live with that same sense of urgency. We need to live with that sense of urgency. We need to discuss with our patients and to show by the way we care for them that we are people of faith and that we would like for them to apprehend that faith as well. But I've learned over the years that there are many people who have faith, but they don't have faith in the right entities. Let's put it that way. When I was at the VA hospital as well, I used to, I developed a, a habit of going around on Friday afternoons making what I called spiritual rounds. Okay, it wasn't any you know, fancy stuff. I usually would take one student with me because this wasn't time to go and make rounds with a whole group of people and invade somebody's room. So I'd go by, white coat off, stethoscope off, and drop into their rooms and sit on a chair or even sit at the foot of their bed. Even though they say you're not supposed to do that, many patients feel much more intimate when you sit on the, on the bed. And we talk about things, but I had a purpose. I wanted to find out what's going on with them spiritually. And true, I had the luxury of being able to do that on Friday afternoons. But I could have been doing many other things. But I felt impressed that this was something I should, I should do. And there was an urgency to it. And I also wanted the students to see that it's not just dealing with pharmacology and internal medicine and diagnoses and pathology. A patient isn't a bag of pathology. A patient is a human being. This man in that room is always a son of somebody. Probably a father, maybe a brother, could be a husband, grandfather, so somebody. But I found something very interesting. I talked to these men and they'd say, when we talk about faith and whatnot, they'd always 
not, not always, but most of the time, they'd switch the conversation to their wives. They'd tell me how their wives go to church and things like that. And uh, I learned that, you know, we start off talking about this, they tell me about their wife, and then I say, okay, that's about your wife, how about you? And many would tell me, oh, don't worry about me, Doc. Don't worry about me. I, I have faith. And then I would ask, faith in what? Many of them had faith in faith. They believed that just having faith, just saying I have faith, was enough and they would be healed. Everything would be alright because I have faith. Some of them had faith in the system. I did my time. The system will take care of me. Don't worry. It's not going to cost me anything out of my pocket. The system will take care of me. Some had faith in medicine. They felt that medicine was at a stage, and they still do. Medicine is at a stage where almost anything can be taken care of. So they had faith in medicine. Some had faith in technology. They'd tell me what was the last thing they saw on television. Can't you guys do this so-and-so now? Yeah, yeah. Well... That could fix me up, right? Fix me right up. Faith in technology. And then, there were some had faith who had faith in the doctor. And that could be me. And you know, the temptation would be to say, oh yes, you have a good doctor. <laughs> right? One could be flattered into thinking, this is really good. This guy recognizes that I'm a good doctor. But I'm sorry. Having faith in me will not take care of what really ails any patient. So it was my privilege over the years and continues to be my privilege to introduce people to the only one in whom their faith can bring results. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all here have those opportunities. Faith in God. To trust Him. To put their hope and their future in Him. To trust in His Word. But at the same time, we can't be hypocrites because I could not share what I didn't have and neither can you. You can fool some of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all the time and you certainly can't fool God anytime. We can't live one way and preach another and expect that people would see some kind of consistency there and do as I say and not as I do. You get the idea? People don't, don't like that. People see through it, especially young people. And for those who have the, the privilege of being around younger people in training, or those of you who have children or grandchildren, they know when you're winging it and when I'm faking it.
They know. They see right through it. You can't really share what you don't have and what you don't know how to get. Because people who are interested really want to know. I've found that the greatest limitation that I have had in sharing my faith has been the limitation of my own faith. And as my faith grows, it overflows. People will have faith in something or somebody. Why not, is my challenge to you, make the decision to help them to have faith in the only person who can do something for them. I cannot learn unless I am willing to be taught. Which means I have to spend time with God in his word, in prayer, reading the Bible, all of which can become very inconvenient in my busy life. Anybody here busy? It's easy to not spend time with God. And what happens over time is we disconnect from the power source. And we wonder how come we aren't as effective. But praise God, He doesn't give up on us. Let's not give up too soon either. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Since patience will have faith in something, why not have faith in God? You know, um, this issue about being a physician spills over to places outside of the office. I do a bit of traveling, and sometimes, honestly, I get on a plane and I'm so tired, the only thing I want to do is sleep. Or sometimes I have something that I'm working on, and I'm going to use this, uh, these two hours to kind of work on it while I'm on the plane. Some of you do that same thing? Yeah. But I have, over the years, tried to, to remain open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So the person who sits next to me, or the person uh, next to whom I sit, I try to strike up a little conversation and kind of see where it goes. On my last trip, I had the privilege of introducing two people to Jesus Christ on the plane. And how did it happen? I was sitting there, they were sitting there, right? This is two separate uh, flights. And we struck up a conversation. I was interested in what the person was doing. God led the conversation to talk about spiritual things. They were the openings. One was a new ager. Believed in reincarnation. So we talked about reincarnation for a little while. And the next thing you know, I was asking her, did she know who the real resurrection of the life is? And she said no. But she believed in God, but not the same God of the Bible. 
even though she was raised a Catholic. The second person was an architect who had spent a weekend in New York and was going back to Mexico to pick up work the next day. One of these bubbly kind of people. I mean, she came on the plane and the plane lit up. <laughs> and she sat right next to me, so I lit up. <laughs> and we started talking. And the people around started to light up. <laughs> anyway, as we, as we continued our conversation, I realized that she was hurting. And God opened the way to talk to her about, really, becoming healed and whole. And we exchanged emails, and she wrote to me. Because she is interested in opening the Bible for the first time in her life. You see, being in the health professions, we learn how to talk to people. We learn how to relate to people, all kinds of people. And so even out of the office, we have a certain amount of credibility, just because. And people respond to that. And if we can do it to aggrandize ourselves and to feel good about things, why can't we do it for God? Something that really matters. People are on death row. Dead men walking. People come to see us for hope. They come to us sometimes not even understanding that what they're looking for is not justice but mercy. You know, the pool at Bethesda, Bethesda means mercy. God was extending his mercy. Jesus was extending his mercy to this man at the pool of Bethesda. The pool of mercy. And we too should extend mercy and grace. His mercy and his grace. When we hunger and thirst and we find where to eat, and we find other people who hunger and thirst as well, should we not tell them where the source of food is? Uh, but there are some ABCs that are involved in our learning. And I'll give you a little list. A is for awareness. We have to help people to become aware of what's going on. A is for awareness. B is they have to believe it. If you're aware but you don't believe, <laughs> no value. So A is aware, B is believe. C is for choice. They have to make a choice. Oftentimes, when we tell the truth, people have to make a choice about that truth. They can say they believe it, but what are they doing about it? So, a for aware, B for believe, C for choice, D is to do it. They have to do it. You know, if you're in your office and you're talking with a patient and they become aware of a habit that they have or some problem that they may have that's causing another medical problem 
and they believe that what you're telling them is the truth, and in the office they say, okay, okay, doc, I, I think I'll do so-and-so, right? And they go home and they don't do it. What good is that? None. The fact that they say they believe it and they've made a choice doesn't make any difference. They have to put it into practice. They have to do it. And then we get to E. I like to write that E with as a capital E, big E, right? Don't just take my word for it. Evaluate it. But in order to evaluate, we must have reasonable expectations. Otherwise, we can be fooled. And the last part of that is we may as well enjoy it because enjoying what we're doing is also a choice. So A is for? B is for? C is for? D is for? E is to evaluate with reasonable expectations and enjoy. And then comes F. How many of you in your lifetime used to make, notice I said used to make, New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. How many of you still do? We have a couple of people. Those who don't, why don't you anymore? Well, most times we don't follow through. It may take a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. Next thing you know, we're back to doing what we were doing before. If we're trying to do it all in our own strength. So we need to follow through. And we need to follow through enough until it becomes an H. You know what that H is for? Habit. Becomes a habit. Good habits. We say if you practice, it becomes perfect. Is that right? If you practice the wrong thing, you become perfect at the wrong thing. Imagine that. You practice the right thing, you don't have to expend any energy in doing the right thing. Since we're going to develop habits anyway, we may as well help people to develop the best habits. Isn't that right? Okay, so you like my alphabet so far? Excuse me? What do you think about the alphabet? Missing G. Let me tell you, friends. That is exactly what happens even in our practices. We forget G. That's for God. We forget to put God into the equation. And that absence can make a world of difference. But you know, this is not just for patients. We have the ability doctors, dentists, pharmacists, nurses, to, to attend to people of all walks of life because everybody can get sick. We come in contact with people of every stripe because we all get sick, sometime or another. And we go and we see a doctor, we go and see a dentist, or we go and see somebody for help. People don't always have to go to a pastor because they may not feel they have need. But sooner or later when they get sick or they don't feel well, they go and they see a doctor. Or they try to get some advice from a nurse or from a pharmacist or somebody around who knows something about health. 
Isn't that right? See, health is not the message in the sense of the health message being the gospel. It is not. But there is no better way to demonstrate the gospel in action than through the message of health. I've had the privilege over the years, as many of you, I'm sure, must have, of having to treat teachers and pastors and maybe government officials, politicians, even evangelists. And it's interesting to find out that some people whom we might think have made the commitment and the connection with God are dead men walking. And they will never go to a pastor to talk about that. But they come into your office with a medical problem, a health problem, and they will open up. And we have a sacred responsibility to treat them with the utmost care and attention. To speak the truth. To give them hope. Because God says that he has plans for them, each and every one of them. And he knows those plans. To give them hope and a future. An expected end. And we have the privilege of being able to participate in that. People ask me from time to time, what's your profession? Especially in Mexico. Uh, that's one of the opening kind of things when you get to know somebody. They ask you where you're from, right? Meaning where you're born. And they ask you, what's your profession? And I'm going to ask you, what's your profession? What's your specialty? I've come to the decision that I am not an Adventist physician. I'm actually a physician Adventist. Now, this is not a play on words. I want you to hear me out. You see... If I say I'm an Adventist physician, the noun that is telling who I am is physician. And the adjective is Adventist, which is a qualifier. See, I'm a physician who happens to be an Adventist. I identify, therefore, by my words as physician. But I want to be able to say like Paul... My profession is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen. That's my profession. And so my profession is Adventist. And by the way, the way in which I minister is being a physician. So I'm a physician Adventist, not an Adventist physician. And you, you are what? Physician Adventist as well? Dentist Adventist? Nurse Adventist? Pharmacy Adventist? Student Adventist? <laughs> right? 
What's my specialty? I've thought about that too. The common line is internal medicine, geriatrics, diabetes. Easy to say. But I don't treat diabetes. I treat people with diabetes. My specialty is facilitation. I facilitate putting together the person with his savior or her savior. I facilitate the person being healed. I still don't know how antibiotics really work. Oh, I can teach all the mechanisms that we've... But I still don't know why they work. Is there anybody who really knows why here? None. I facilitate connecting people with the great physician. And I challenge you to take that same posture. When Jesus Christ returns, it's the only thing that's going to count. And for us, right here, right now, with the urgency of the time, it should be the only thing that counts for us too. But we have, by the very nature of how things are, we have opportunity and opportunity upon opportunity because people will seek us for our service. And we can either make good on our commitment with God, on their behalf, or we can cheat them and rob them and withhold from them essential therapy. Which one will it be? You see, I too had to go through the ABCs I too and you too must become aware you must know the truth because the truth will set you free. There's a way that seems right unto a man but that is the way of death. We must be aware of that. I must be aware and you must be aware that but for the grace of God we are dead men walking. We're on death row. And if we have found the source of life and the source of hope, we have an obligation to share that in everything that we do, in everything that we are. We must believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways we should acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. And we have to make a choice. The Bible says, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. How will we answer that question? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you very much. D is for doing. In James we read that we should not just be hearers of the word, 
but doers also. You know, Lee Iacocca, when uh, Chrysler was getting its big comeback, he had made some commercials on television that were very uh, kind of in your face. And the story is told of his walking into an elevator and a man running up and saying, Oh, Mr. Iacocca, I just love your commercials. And Lee Iacocca looked at the man reportedly and said, I don't care what you think about the commercials. What kind of car do you drive? The implication, if it's not a Chrysler, it doesn't matter what you think about the commercial. It doesn't matter how much we say we believe what Jesus said. If we're not putting it into action, we really don't believe. E. Must evaluate. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. God says in the Old Testament, Come, let us reason together in Isaiah chapter 1. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be made as white as snow. Prove me now, says the Lord of hosts in Malachi. We are faithful, he says, he will be more than faithful. What do you think about that? Jesus said there's no one who will give up anything in this life for his sake that they will not receive in this life a hundredfold. And persecution. And eternal life. Interesting. We will have persecution. Because the devil does not like this equation. We must enjoy our walk with Christ. We should be able to say, like David, I delight, like Solomon, I delight to do thy will. And we must have follow through. Only those who persevere until the end will be saved. It's not good to put your hand to the plow and then turn away. But he doesn't leave us alone. He says, lo, I am with you always. He will be our strength and our shield. We must have good habits, the best habits. And the Bible says, let us not be weary in doing good, for in due season you shall reap, if you don't lose heart. And the G, of course, is for God. God's arm is not short that he cannot save. My God is my fortress and my strength, my buckler and my shield. And if God be for us, who can be against us? So we come back to the point of hemi-neglect. Are we neglecting our own responsibilities? In our own churches, are we stimulating the members of our church also to be health evangelists? Are we accepting the responsibility that we have to be medical evangelists? Are we going out into the uncharted territory of reforming medical practice? And that means associating with other health professionals, not of our faith, 
with the intention not only of providing consultation and service to them and their patients, but also by the way in which we act and we do, that they say, what is it that's different about you? I can give you stories of things that have happened to me personal, personally and of friends who have won other physicians and nurses and whomever else to Christ because of who they are in the way they treat people. We need to pay attention to the full scope of the Gospel Commission. Go ye into all the world and make disciples and teach them all the things whatsoever he has commanded us and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he promises that he will be with us all the way to the end. And I have found over the years and I'm not cynical that after much has been said and done, much more has been said than done. I would pray that for this conference at Amen, much more will be done than has been said. Amen.